Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jeff Wilson. I'm chairman of WAM Leaders. Thank you very much for tuning in today to the WAM Leaders webinar. Now, this webinar is specifically because we've had a lot of people uh, uh, ringing us up um, and, and have a lot of questions about the um, entitlement offer that WAM Leaders is currently running. Um, today, I'll be um, you know, I'll be joined by uh, the lead portfolio manager of WAM Leaders and his team. Uh, we Matt helped Johnny Ayub and Anna Milne, and, and also after um, we've sort of I've gone through a few Q and A questions with the, with the team. Um, Olivia Harris, who's one of our you know, senior corporate affairs members, will be running the uh, Q and A. So if you have any questions, you know, please um, you know, send them in on the webinar because this is your company. You know, we're only here because you allow us to be here. Uh, and any questions you have whatsoever, you know, please ask them. Um, now's the time to ask them. Since you know, we spoke to you last, a, a few weeks ago, um, the WAM Leaders Board have come up and, and clarified the outlook or, or what is it, what they expect will be paid for dividends going over the next 12-month period. Initially, we've talked about you know, the interim dividend, uh, how the plan is to increase it, that's in six months' time, um, from uh, the current you know, three and a half cents to four cents, fully frank. And, you know, um, historically, whatever WAM leaders tend to do at the interim they'll tend to pay at the full year. So you, you could say, um, you know, assuming, you know, that, that you know, markets hold together, that the dividend will be increasing from a you know, $0.07 cents for the year just gone um, to $0.08 cents next year, which is a, a little over a 14% increase. Now, why did the board come out and say that? They just wanted clarity because there were a lot of um, – they thought shareholders needed clarity. There were a lot of people – that were questioning whether they'd put money in at $1.44, the current entitlement offer, how much should they apply for, should they apply for overs. Um, and the board just wanted to give you know, people, um, you know, make them sort of understand that you know, if they do put money in uh, into the company, additional money into the company, you know, then they'll be getting a yield on that um, of, now, on a sort of, on a on a on a run rate basis of five point six percent fully franked. Uh, now, if if you're lucky enough to have your money in your super fund and you get the franking credits back, you know, you're talking about nearly eight um, percent. And and in a market that is you know, that is uh, you know, that hasn't been yielding that well, you know, that is a very um, you know, a, a very you know, solid yield. Uh, and, and as you know, one of our plans uh, is to provide a growing stream of fully frank dividends to shareholders over time, and that can only be uh, delivered because of the really strong performance. Uh, in the announcement we made to the ASX, an another thing, we just confirmed that all the directors are taking up their entitlement. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking up my entitlement, I think, I think I'm entitled to just a, a, around $3 million, just a fraction under $3 million worth of stock. Um, yeah, and I, I'm actually you know, 
at the moment trying to work out where the money is. <laughs> um, and, and that's the, uh, you know, to make sure I've got money in the various entities that I own the, you know, the stock in, um, you know, so I can, you know, take up my full allocation. Uh, so I'm taking up my full allocation and all the other, you know, directors are taking up their uh, full allocation. The, um, in terms of the entitlement offer, you, you know you would have all got uh, you would have got the paperwork. If you haven't got the paperwork, please you know, contact the share register boardroom or ourselves. Um, you know, the shares are being the new shares are being issued at dollar forty four. For every five shares you owned, you know, before they went ex entitlement, you get offered another one share, uh, and you also have the ability to apply for more shares. Um, than that one for five. That's for, and that, that really, where that opportunity presents itself is when you know, some people you know, don't have the money um, or decide not to you know, take up their shares, then that allows um, you know, WAM shareholders to apply for additional shares. The, um, so that's, you know, that, that, they're, they're probably the main um, you know, various things I'd like to mention to you. Uh, so, why don't I, um, why don't I, I I'll, I'll go to Matt now, and Matt, you you sort of mentioned in a, a video update, you know, just on the equity market, that you're talking about the three key factors that drive the equity market. Can you just expand on that a little bit and, and take us, you know, through that? Yeah, sure, Jeff, and thanks for everyone that's dialed in uh, this afternoon. Um, we're not talking about the three factors. It's really breaking it down to the most simplistic level uh, of what drives equities. And the, the three factors are the risk-free rate, um, the equity risk premium, which is really just the extra return you require for holding a risky asset like an equity, and growth levels. So uh, very simplistically, they're the three factors which drive equity markets. And now the, the difficult part is, working out all the, the factors underneath that, which drive those three factors. I mean, that's the most complex thing. But um, if we look last year, all those three factors were incredibly positive risk-free rates. Um, and when we, when we talk about the risk-free rate, we talk about the 10-year yield as, as a proxy for the risk-free rate. And last year, that was 50 basis points. Um, as the market got excited, it went up to 170 basis points. And now it's pulled back to 118. So probably in the last two, three months, the risk-free rate has been holding the equity market up as growth has decelerated. Um, and the equity risk premium is really a function of a lot of other factors too, but that has been suppressed by central bank action. They're holding um, the that down artificially to, and that's supportive of asset prices. So um, going forward, these three factors will change and we expect risk-free rates to go up. Uh, we expect equity risk premiums to go up as well. Um, and growth should um, start to stabilise. So conditions are still incredibly supportive. I, I'd liken it to, um, you know, emergency conditions. We are still in emergency conditions. So, you know, with the Delta outbreak, you know, slowing growth potential, um, equity markets have held up because we are in emergency conditions. So every time the, the market wants to fall, the backdrop is incredibly supportive of equities. So that's why we remain optimistic uh, around equities because the backdrop uh, remains very supportive and will remain supportive for the immediate future. So um, pretty easy to summarise in three factors, but trying to 
you know, determine what drives those factors is the most complex thing. But um, all the factors are still pretty positive at the moment, even though growth is moderating from high levels. Thanks, Matt. Um, and one of the things, maybe you just switch to Johnny now. You know, we're, we're very, well, we're probably just on the cusp of the reporting season. Uh, John, do you just want to give us a little bit of a feel of what you're looking for or what you're expecting or, um, yeah, what we'd expect to see out there? Thank you, Jeff, um, and thanks for everyone for dialing in again. Like the reporting season kicked off uh, in a slow way today and will kind of gradually build up over the next two or three weeks. And I guess from where we sit, the main things we'll be looking for is firstly cost pressure. Um, it kind of goes to our thematic around inflation building globally. And I think the first thing we'll be looking for in a lot of the results is cost pressure as uh, supply chains and um, inventory is harder to come by. So we, we look for that as a big theme during this reporting season, how that kind of wears that plays out on uh, revenue outlooks, uh, cost pressure going forward and, and, and basically trajectory of company earnings. So that's the first thing we'll be looking for. Uh, the next thematic we'll be looking for is the, the divergence between domestic and global earners. I think a lot of the domestic companies will be facing some headwinds because of the lockdowns, whilst we'll start to see the shape of the recovery globally, given that the UK and US is ahead of us in a, in a reopening sense. So that would provide us a lot of insight into what's coming next. And we'll start to see, we've already started to see that in a lot of the US companies reporting now globally. So from that perspective, um, companies like Amcor, Brambles, James Hardy's domestically will give us a lot of insight into what's happening overseas. Um, and then some of the domestic earners like a Qantas, a Star, a Crown, obviously they're going to be heavily affected um, by the lockdowns. And so we'll be kind of making, you know, you, you'll give them the benefit of the doubt um, because of those lockdowns. We know they're temporary. We know there's a way out. Um, so we'll be looking at those kind of things from that perspective. And I guess on that backdrop, we'll probably be looking to sell our winners and probably look to buy a lot of the losers this reporting season. And what I mean by that is I guess this is probably coming to the end of a lot of those one-off benefits that we've seen in the market because of the COVID lockdowns and the like. So anything that's been big beneficiaries of that. So, you know, some of the names we don't own, but like like to JB Hi-Fi, a lot of the retailers who've been material benefits in the past, we look to cycle out a lot of those sectors towards those laggards that we've spoken about. Um, and I think those uh, we see some green shoots coming through from those perspectives as we listen to Scott Morris and the like talk about uh, the pathway out, the pathway to 70 to 80% vaccinated rate. So they're the things that we'll be looking for. And the last one is um, the continuance of M&A, but this time the thematic is going to be more around the hunted, which is the ASX 200 becoming the hunters. So we start, we'll start to see a lot of the boards loosen their shackles and potentially uh, become the acquirers and start looking elsewhere, looking globally, uh, to use elevated equity valuations to start growing from growing via acquisition. So I think that will be coming through. Uh, buybacks, dividends, I think they're all going to be growing strongly in this reporting season. But the last little thing I will say is that I think outlook statements will remain tempered. That's probably the last, the last comment I'll make. No, thanks, John. And yeah, obviously, yeah, we saw it yesterday with Afterpay. You know, just uh, it's just been. I, I love the headlines and the Fin Review. Yeah, uh, this morning, yeah, you know, just stunning. Like it, it has been just a stunning existence of a, a company listed on the ASX for a short period of time, and then obviously with you know, record low interest rates. Yeah, you know, then yeah, you know, for. M&A activity, it makes uh, enormous sense. So, um, no, thanks for that feedback. Why don't we now pass over um, to Olivia Harris, who's you know, one of our senior you know, corporate affairs advisors. Uh, um, and because to me, this is the 
the reason why we're having this um, call is we had a lot of people that had uh, that had contacted us, um, you know, just just with various questions, and we thought, look, you know, the entitlement offer closes this Friday. Um, let's you know, let's um, you know, take as many questions and answers, try to give people a bit of guidance of where we are. You know, the board's given shareholders guidance on where you know, the dividend's going, you know, which I think is you know, just gives a lot people a lot of confidence. Um, so you know, let, let me pass over to Olivia and let's take any questions you guys have got. Thanks very much, Jeff, and thanks to everybody sending in questions on the webinar and also everyone who sent in um, questions via email to me and the corporate affairs team um, since we announced the webinar. Matt, the first question is for you from Jordan. Um, so going into reporting season, what are your thoughts on the big four banks and do you have a preferred bank? Uh, thanks, Jordan. Um, so going into the reporting season, so CBA will be putting out their full year result. The rest will be uh, quarterlies. Um, so CBA, we, we're expecting a big off-market buyback. Uh, they have a lot of franking credits to, to utilise, so we'd expect a big off-market buyback. Um, NAB have already announced a $2.5 billion, ANZ a $1.5 billion. We don't think Westpac are in a position yet uh, for capital management. So um, we're, we're still quite um, positive on the Australian banks. The, the fiscal support has come through again from the government, so we've had lockdowns. Um, and the fiscal support has come straight in, uh, which essentially is, is a transfer payment really between the government um, and into the banking sector because a lot of people use it obviously to pay uh, their bills and expenses. So overall, positive in the Australian banks. Capital positions are great. Uh, net interest margins should increase over the next few years. So overall, quite positive. Uh, what could change that is obviously... Uh, you know, big outbreaks or different viruses, uh, variances and the like. But um, overall, as we sit today, uh, the fiscal support is coming through. Uh, the Delta lockdowns in, in New South Wales and Queensland at the moment, um, a bit of a, a temporary headwind. But um, again, with the fiscal support, um, no issues at the point in time. And um, as we sit, our favourite is National Australia Bank. Uh, just think they've got a lot to do on the costs and, and streamlining the business. Um, and a lot of upside on net interest margin. Uh, next would be CBA, uh, then ANZ, and then Westpac um, at the bottom of the list at the moment. Thanks very much, Matt. And, John, the next question is for you. It's from Christopher. What are your thoughts on the Santos oil search merger? Thanks, Olivia, and thank you, Christopher, for that question. Uh, we are very pleased to see this transaction go through. So if I... Can be fairly blunt. Um, the recent past has shown that also company and board don't have a mandate to run that company following what's transpired in, in, in recent times. And we welcome the fact that Kevin Gallagher, who's the CEO of Santos, who's probably not only the best CEO in the oil and gas space, is probably the leading CEO in all of the ASX 200. He'll be now taking the helm and uh, leading oil search and, share, oil search and Santos shareholders into the future. And we think that's really encouraging. We think that he'll uh, optimise the portfolio, uh, rationalise the cost base, and then uh, and then grow the company going forward. So, you know, we could have uh, yeah we could have argued the toss over you know four, five, six percent uh, bumps and the like. But I think that uh, some cool heads and some common sense came came through and actually realised that this deal needed to be done. Uh, scale is um, materially beneficial in this space. 
And I think that going forward, Santos and all searches um, uh, combined is going to be a much stronger, much better enterprise, and we, uh, we look forward to the future. Thanks very much, John. And we might just flip to back to Jeff for some questions um, on the entitlement offer. We've got a couple of people sending questions through. Um, so, Jeff, the first one, can you make any comment about the WAM leader's share price? It's fallen a little bit. Yeah, the the um, and the interesting thing was, well, today it's actually up three and a half cents, but uh, um, yesterday it fell, yeah, by that by that amount. Yeah, obviously there's a little bit of volatility around at the moment. I mentioned earlier on the call, yeah, um, that I was trying to work out where my money is, you know, to take up my entitlement, and what I think we might be seeing a little bit is we might be seeing a few people thinking, oh, look, I can buy shares at $1.44. I'll sell some shares at a higher price and buy them back at $1.44. So to me, there's a little bit of volatility. Um, yeah, we had it. Yeah, I was talking to Kate, uh, our CEO, yesterday. A few shareholders were questioning, you know, why did the stock fall yesterday? And I said to Kate, look, you know, it came off a little bit yesterday, but, you know, uh, when the entitlement offer's over then I'm sure it'll bounce back up. Uh, and, and if you look at it, you know, the, the market's probably yielding you know, 3% or something like that. Here you can get exposure to the market you know, with you know, people that have you know, significantly outperformed the market over time. Uh, and you're getting, you know, particularly in the entitlement offer price, you know, you're getting 5.6% you know, fully franked you know, dividend yield, which you know, we anticipate will grow uh, over time. So, yeah, the, the volatility in the share price is just the fact that some people might be selling. You know, I, I, I've been selling other shares that I own to give myself the money um, to take up these. Thanks, Jeff. And we have another question from Dave. Um, can you confirm that the entitlement is brokerage-free? Yeah, the entitlement is, is brokerage-free. Yeah, so effectively you're paying $1.44 and that's what that's all you're paying. Um. Great, thanks very much, Jeff. And Jeff, one question that we have coming through um, quite a bit, one specifically from Ian. Um, at this stage, does any scale back seem likely in the offer? And if so, how will that be allocated? Yeah, in terms of where the tricky thing about these offers is, and we've looked at historically how the money comes in you tend to find 75% of the money comes in the last four or five days. So we've just entered that last little period. Um, you know, you know, so it's, it's a very, you know, it's a tricky situation. You know, if you'd asked me like this, this morning, I would have thought, you know, it's highly improbable to be scaled back. But, you know, between now and Friday, I just don't know how much money is going to come in. And a lot of the custodians they don't pay till the last day. And I know personally I'm not paying till the last day either. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't look like scale back at the moment. If there was scale back, yeah, then it would – well, first of all, th there's no scale back on your one for five. So you, you are entitled to your one for five. If you apply for more than that, um, and if we need to scale people back, then it'll be done on a pro rata basis. So, I mean, if, if you wanted to buy more shares at 
44, then I would apply for them um, because, you know, we, I mean, we, as I said, at the moment it doesn't look as though it'll be oversubscribed, um, but, you know, we, we are still four days away from the close. Thanks very much, Jeff. And just following that, um, a question from Sebastian. He said, thanks very much for the dividend guidance. How long do you think this level of dividend is sustainable? Well, in terms of our, uh, the ability to pay that dividend is really a function of, um, of the performance of, the, uh, of Matt and his team managing the money. And the reason, you know, at the moment, we've got a profit reserve of, you know, it's a little over 30 cents. And even adjusting for the entitlement offer, you're talking about the high 20s um, is the profit reserve. Um, so, and that's before this three and a half cent dividend. So after that three and a half cent dividend, we've still, we've still got, you know, probably you know, nearly three years of dividends up our sleeve. So that means if the company makes no profit over the next three years, it'll still be able to pay dividends at the current rate. Now, obviously... Um, you know, if the market falls significantly, you know, then it really is up to the directors to decide, you know, what dividend will be paid. But assuming, you know, the portfolio continues to perform and continues to make money, then dividends will continue to be able to be paid. Now, why can we pay a dividend that's greater than the market is because our dividends are a combination of dividends we receive from the companies we own, but also it's profit that we – that you know, by the you know, by the team investing in those companies and making some profits, you know, we pay some tax on it and it gives us the ability to give you a higher, you know, fully frank dividend than the market. So the dividend you're receiving is a combination of, you know, the flow-through dividends from the investee companies we own shares in, plus it's topped up, you know, by additional performance. And particularly over the last two years, you know, where... You know, the, the investment teams outperform the market by close to 10% per annum for two years. You know, that's why the profit reserve is, is where it is. And so, you know, for the foreseeable future, you'd have to be pretty confident about that dividend. Thanks very much, Jeff. And we might just stick with some entitlement questions and flip to Matt quickly. Matt, are you able to provide some examples of where the extra capital derived from the entitlement offer might be invested? Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Um, the extra capital, um, I, th I think we've got some really great opportunities coming up. And the reason why I say that is um, the, the backdrop is not a consensus trade for where we think the market is going to go. So when we look offshore, uh, the last few months we've seen rates decrease and the slope of the yield curve decrease as is you know, a few issues around growth and, you know, the strength of the um, economy. Uh, we, we think the economic growth will be sustained for a longer period of time and we think these emergency settings will fall away um, and will be gradually wound back. So we're quite excited over the next few months. The, the market is in position for this at the moment and we think when we get the extra capital, there's a, a lot of um, those positions we can deploy into, you know, financials, insurers and, you know, companies that benefit from a... Uh, a rising yield curve or a, a sloping yield curve. So 
Um, we're quite excited by that. Um, it was a consensus trade, but very not much not a consensus trade anymore. So uh, that is really exciting. So we can't wait to have the extra capital. Thanks very much, Matt. And uh, we'll flip to Anna now. Anna, you've got a question from Elizabeth. Do you have any stocks that you're positive on going into reporting season? Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, absolutely. So one stock in particular that we think may surprise to the upside is Domain Holdings. Domain is one of Australia's largest real estate online classified companies and is also a WAM Leaders holding. Uh, so Domain has three main earnings drivers, being listing volumes, pricing and depth penetration. And all three are experiencing favourable conditions at the moment. So in terms of listing volumes, uh, they're extremely strong despite slightly tempered by the uh, current lockdown. And we're receiving feedback that the pipeline is not slowing, which sets them up for a strong FY22. From a pricing perspective, we expect high single-digit growth. And additionally, they've also changed to a tiered pricing model, which means that they will benefit from surging house prices. Lastly, depth. Uh, depth penetration is an indicator for the upsell opportunity. The proportion of domains listings is less than half of REA in terms of their premium listings. It's currently management's focus to bring this up and there are a number of initiatives in place. So we see a significant runway here for improvement. So supportive macro backdrop continuing, company initiatives and trading at a 40% discount to REA. We're really excited to see what's in store for domain at the upcoming result. Thanks, Anna. That's great. And Matt, um, just following on from your comments about economic growth, we do have a question from Gus. Um, are you worried about the slowing economic growth numbers and what does that mean for the equity market? Yeah, great question. So what we're seeing now is a lot of the leading indicators rolling over. This was always going to happen. So there's, the best way to look at this is divide it into two parts um, of, of the question. So Economic growth was always going to slow from the extraordinary levels we had. Um, so that's that's definitely in the market. What's been dragging the market um, down, particularly the rates market, is uh, the outlook has been tempered. So all the leading indicators are rolling over. This was expected, but they're probably rolling over a bit quicker than we thought. Um, why we're not that worried is because the conditions, like I talked about, are still incredibly favourable for economic growth and the labour markets haven't repaired themselves yet. So they're in the process of doing this. So the US is still, you know, below its potential GDP, but that should be um, hit towards the end of this year, which will be a great positive. Also, India is bouncing back off very depressed levels um, as COVID went through that country uh, quite severely. So India is a positive delta. China has been a negative delta, um, but that, as we touched on before, may change. So we're a little bit more constructive on economic growth than you, your fixed interest markets are at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we're watching it. We're not concerned. We are expecting a, a moderation, but we think the recovery will be longer than people think and the, the accommodation by governments will be longer than people think in the short term, uh, which pushes the risk out to the longer end of the yield curve, uh, like we talked about. But... The policy is so supportive um, and it will be that way while the economies repair themselves. So, no, not overly concerned at this point in time. Thanks very much, Matt. And, John, the next question is for you from Rajiv. 
What is your outlook for M&A activity? Uh, Rajiv, thank you. Obviously, it's a very topical um, point of discussion at the moment, given what we've seen over the last 24 hours and moreover over the last few weeks. Maybe I'll take a step back and characterise it three ways. The companies that need to, the companies that want to, and the companies that should. And firstly, companies that need to, they're probably the ones that need to because they need scale or there's some sort of external factor which requires um, cost rationalisation. So I would put Santos, Oil Search, um, a lot of the coal companies and the like, uh, a lot of the gaming companies that are facing other sorts of structural issues that, you know, scale provides these guys a lot of opportunity, a lot of cost out opportunity. And then given their market dominance, they can kind of, if you go back in time and look at the tobacco industry of the past, these things can be run for cash. So I suspect we'll see a lot more of those companies coming together and merging. I think if we take the next step of the companies that want to, they're the ones that uh, use their very expensive script. And I'll put Square and Afterpay into that camp because these things are trading on record multiples. Uh, there's no sensitivity to earnings in the short term. They're sold on the viable hope that one day earnings will come through. So from that perspective, these guys, I think they should really uh, look to use their expensive script to kind of provide themselves um, some more diversity from single products or whatever it might be. So I expect to see more of that sort of consolidation um, on a global scale where you start looking at the biggest players in the world uh, coming down globally. And I guess then the ones I say that should or want to, um, I would look at companies like Wes Farmers, uh, News Corp. Um, these companies have really strong balance sheets, uh, you know, re-raiders over the last year or two. I kind of look at those companies and they really should be using their balance sheet to kind of help themselves out of um, slowing down growth or kind of rotating out of the benefits. So Sonic Healthcare is probably another one that have been big beneficiaries over the last year. And I think they should start deploying their balance sheets in a more robust way to kind of capitalise on, on the good times that they've had over the last year. So, you know, things like Wes Farmers really should look at something like Ramsey Healthcare. Um, you know, things like that. I think we should start seeing a lot more of that and we should start to see boards of those companies that have done particularly well start to use that balance sheet in creative ways, creative ways, not just buybacks and special dividends. So I think this is only the start. It's part of the, um, it's normally part of the cycle. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing big waves of uh, M&A coming through uh, for the next six, 12 months. Um, I did notice, and Olivia, I'll just take the opportunity to answer this. I did notice there were a few questions on Afterpay coming through uh, online. We don't own Afterpay, and I guess um, yeah, we didn't own it because we thought their earnings would be coming under pressure, um, and I think yesterday's update demonstrated that. Um, but you know, looking at Square, they're probably you know, one of the more expensive growth companies globally, and they're taking over another very expensive growth company domestically. So um, well, how it trades now, what do we think of the scheme? We haven't looked at it into too much detail, but the reality is you know, Afterpay will now trade in lockstep with how Square trades, uh, subject to um, currency and um, you know, merger of guys. So uh, that's our view on those ones. Thanks very much, John. And Matt, the next question is for you from George. Um, so since the last call that we had, have your views on China changed at all? Um, you mentioned that the outlook might improve. What are your thoughts there now? Uh, thanks, George. So China has been in the midst of winding back their stimulus, which, you know, saved the globe basically last year, incredible amount of stimulus. Uh, this year, probably since about February, they've been pulling back on some of the stimulus. Uh, what we saw in June was a, a distinct change where they were, you know, allowing a bit more credit 
Um, in July, we saw a triple R cut, which is a, basically how much capital the banks need to hold for each dollar uh, they have. At the Politburo meeting, so we've got whispers coming out of the Politburo meeting that it was a lot more dovish than people were expecting. So that is supportive of the uh, a potential change in China. We're probably not quite there yet, but it's very, very close. I think if over the next month or so, we will see a distinct change. So China has these mini cycles compared to uh, more developed nations, which have longer cycles. So Ch China really push the pedal down, then pull back and do these mini cycles within their business cycles. So I'd expect some sort of change from policy in China in the next month or so as their growth has decelerated. Um, so we are very encouraged by this and would be expecting um, some trades to happen off this. We've increased our iron ore exposures a little bit despite some steel cuts um, put through by the government. We're just thinking maybe the demand environment is uh, stronger for longer. Uh, and people are a bit too bearish on it at this point in time. So, yes, um, we're becoming incrementally more positive on China um, as the days go by. Thanks very much, Matt. And, John, the next question is for you from Kim. You mentioned um, some opportunities in laggards previously. Can you elaborate on that one a little bit? Um, yeah, thanks, Kim. Uh, they're getting cheaper too, so I guess... Yeah, market's a function of timing and um, given domestic lockdowns, there's a certainly a lot of pressure on, um, and I mentioned these names on the last call, Qantas and Star and uh, corporate travel. Um, given that they're very exposed to travel uh, domestically and international, they're also um, yeah, greatly affected from um, lockdowns and food and beverage sales. So given that and given you know our view that this is the last lockdowns that we'll have subject to um, yeah, Delta being as, as, as reported as, you know, without any new variants is coming out. We think this is probably the end of um, lockdowns, whenever that is. You know, it could be October, it could be November, we're not quite sure on that. Um, but what we will do is take the opportunity to kind of, um, you know, buy a lot of those names which are just singled out um, when there's maximum fear. So Crown's one that We've been adding to the portfolio now where we thought the valuation between $8.50 and $9 got ridiculously cheap. Um, it was supported by property and, 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 and other things. So we thought, you know, you know, we don't need to wait to pick the timing. There was just the right junction. You know, Qantas, you know, getting close to $4.50 is getting close to that mark as well. So, you know, they're the names that we'd be looking at. And as I said before, we'll be rotating out a lot of the, the big beneficiaries, um, you know, the Endeavours or the Woolies and the like. Um, and I guess I, I did notice there was a question on Endeavour at $6.80. It's probably getting a little bit expensive. I think when we spoke last time, it was $6.20. Um, yeah, you know, given that the, this is going to be the, 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 the first reporting period that they're going to come out with. So there's going to be a fair bit of noise and uncertainty with that report. So, you know, we've always set our entry prices in that $6.20, $6.30. Yeah, it gets a bit toppy at six dollars eighty. So, um, yeah, hope that answers those questions. Thanks very much, John. And I do just want to answer one question from Debbie. Debbie has asked if she's already paid for her entitlement. Um, can she take up more and use the same be paid details? And Debbie, that is correct. If you do want to purchase more shares, um, you just need to use the same, or you want to take up more rights, either in your entitlement or in the top up. You do need to use the same BPay details that you used the first time that Boardroom, the share registry, provided for you. Um, so if you need those details again, you will have to get them from Boardroom, the share register. Now, 
Jeff, we do just have one question that's come through that's interesting. Um, is the profits reserve included in the NTA? And, and the answer is yes. Yeah. So, so effectively, the you know, the NTA of the company at the end of June it was a dollar forty four. Um, you know, in that dollar forty four, it was made up of capital. You know, say a dollar ten of capital that we started with, and and you know, thirty four cents of profit reserve. Um, and it could have been, you know, if if the if the profit hadn't been made. Yeah, uh, and additional capital had been raised. It might have been, you know, in theory, more of um, you know the original capital. But yeah, the profit reserve is part of the NTA. It just the profit reserve is there um, because you need a profit to pay a dividend. Obviously, to pay a dividend that's fully franked, you need to have franking credits as well. And how do you get franking credits? Is by shares that you own in other companies. You know, that they you know, pay them to you. And like at the moment, for the year just gone, I think the the yield on the on the ASX 200 was something like 2.8%. Um, but also, you know, WAM leaders is fortunate that we've actually made some profits and paid some tax, and we get the franking credits from the tax we pay as well. And that's why we can pay those, you know, that growing stream of fully franked dividends. Thanks very much, Jeff. And we do have another question on the entitlement from Robert, um, and that is, will Matt and John be taking up their rights? So, Matt and John, would you oh, both like to answer? Good question. question. Good question. I'll answer first. Yes, I'm taking up. It's John. I'm taking up my rights, and I've actually uh, topped up my uh, my entitlement. So, hopefully, I get looked after, Jeff. Can you help me out, well, Lauren? Well, you can. You can do that. Unfortunately, as a director. We can't. We're not, we, we can only take up our full entitlement. We can't apply for more. But you and Matt can, yeah. And other share, all other shareholders can, but directors can't. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can confirm that I've taken up my rights this afternoon too. So I went through the process and on the, on, through the website and um, I'm all done, both in my uh, super and in my personal name too. So all, all completed today. Good work. Thanks very much, Matt and John and Jeff. Um, now, Matt, we do have another question for you from Gillian. Um, how are you thinking about the speed of the recovery in different countries, um, and how does that affect the WAM leaders' investment portfolio? That's a really interesting question, Gillian. Um, it can really be divided into the developed nations because they've been so effective with the vaccine rollout and have had access to the vaccine. So developed markets will lead the recovery. Emerging markets, unfortunately, will lag because of the rollout of the vaccine has been slower. Um, so the way we look at it is the US, the UK and Europe will be the real uh, winners over the next 12 months. Um, and emerging markets uh, are going to be the losers as far as economic growth goes um, to, to what it could have been um, if they had proper uh, rollout of vaccines. So it's really going to be a developed nation uh, first out and a higher growth rate. And, and fortunately for us, most of our companies are linked to um, developed nations. Uh, we have a little bit of LATAM exposure. And if you talk about commodities, obviously that's, you know, China and a lot of mining out of Latin America as well. But predominantly, um, the most of our revenue 
from companies we own is those developed uh, nations. So, yes, it is going to be two speed. Um, but fortunately, the growth rates of emerging markets are so much higher anyway. So overall, it's not going to have a huge impact um, in the short term. So very much a developed market-led recovery, uh, Gillian. So we do have another question coming through um, just on the iron ore price um, from, uh, let's see, from Stephen. Is the, can you make any comment on the iron ore price in the medium term, given the relations with China? Yeah, I'll answer that one. So, so iron ore price, um, obviously very elevated from the huge uh, steel production numbers coming out of China and, and demand coming out of China. It is elevated. It should come off in the near term, but we won't see a dramatic fall in the iron ore price. Everyone's probably a little bit too bearish. And, it, and it's quite funny, iron ore, every year, everyone gets a bit bearish towards the end of the year and says steel demand will be less, much less than it was last year, but it actually never is. Uh, well, it hasn't been for the last few years. So we're a little bit more constructive on all, a little bit more supply coming back on next year. Um, but overall, remain pretty constructive and using much lower iron ore prices for a lot of our names still makes them incredibly good value. So um, just something we're watching. I mean, credit is the real thing to watch coming out of China, and we'll just monitor that as we do every month um, and, and using high-frequency data as well, monitoring that. So... Uh, it's pretty easy to get a read on on that throughout the year. So, um, yeah, my take is um, iron ore is going to be probably higher than people think for for a bit longer. Um, so, pretty constructive over the next twelve months. Thanks very much, Matt. And the next question is from John. This is from Jeffrey. Um, can you make any comments on Origin and AGL? Thank you, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, I guess. Two names that have been very much beaten up, um, but both have very different dynamics. I guess let me talk about Origin first and, you know, following its update early this week. Yeah, in the low falls, it's become attractive to the leaders team. Um, we think that, you know, the fundamentals of APLNG um, and what they're doing from, a, from, from that side of the business uh, are very positive. Um, and I think there could be, you know, uh, you know some support for, for, for Origin around that $4 level, um, yeah, the balance sheet is probably better than a lot, a lot of fears out there. And I think that, you know, dividends aren't coming anytime soon, just to be clear about that, because um, there, there is a distinct lack of franking. But I think um, buybacks and the like could be back on the horizon um, somewhat uh, later this year, early next. So we're kind of attracted to Origin in the low falls. Um, and a matter of fact, we've been buying some uh, the last few days. Um, but it's where the problem with both these companies is around wholesale energy markets. And, you know, there is some underlying issues with wholesale energy markets and, you know, the retail businesses. So, you know, not only is it competition, but the forward pricing of these uh, of wholesale energy is under pressure and we can't see that abating anytime soon. So, you know, for us, for, for us you know, Origin has that reprieve of, of, of what they're doing for one side of the business. When you turn to AGL, 
Um, there is no reprieve, unfortunately, we can see anytime soon. And they're going through a structural separation of the business uh, where they're trying to divide the business into two. And I guess, you know, when you lose your CEO and you're trying to separate it to good co and bad co, as like we like to coin it, um, we don't see uh, uh, any sort of positivity in that share price anytime soon. So we'd like to see a lot more detail around uh, the divestment and, and, and the, the split up of that company. But unfortunately, it doesn't really fit in our radar right here, right now. Thanks very much, John, and thanks, Matt and John, Jeff and Anna, um, for taking all of the questions. Um, we don't have anyone on the phone lines, and it does appear we've gotten through most of the webinar questions. So I might just pass back to Jeff if you have any closing words to say, and um, and then Matt, and then we'll close. Look, thanks very much, Olivia, and look, thank you all the other shareholders that have called into the webinar. Now, please, if you do have any other questions, uh, please email us, call, you know, ring the office, and we'll make sure we'll get back to you uh, as soon as we can. Um, and you know, like on behalf of, I suppose, all the shareholders, you know, I'd like to thank Matt, you know, Johnny and Anna um, you know, for all their hard work in terms of managing the other WAM leaders' you know, pool of capital and performing so well over a, uh, a long period of time, which allows us to... You know, as a board, you know, it makes the decisions very easy in terms of being able to you know, pay those growing fully frank dividends. Um, and anyone who's applying for you know, the entitlement offer, um, you know, welcome in terms of increasing your, you know, your exposure. Uh, and as we said, you know, in terms of if, if, if there are you know, people applying for overs, um, yeah, and ideally... You know, the overs take up anyone who's not uh, taking it up, so it all balances out. Um, uh, and, you know, that, that's, that'll be the ideal situation. Um, so, yeah, so thank you all. And why don't I I'll pass over to Matt if you've got any closing comments. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'll just reiterate Jeff's words. Um, you know, thanks to all the shareholders for the support over the five years and also during during... The last few years, which has been tough for, for a lot of people, um, you know, with lockdowns and COVID having an impact, but, like, we're so happy with the performance and what we've been able to do for shareholders, and, and, and we really wanted to continue that. Um, and, and despite, you know, the negativity, I guess, around COVID, we're, we're quite excited over the next few years and, you know, the potential for economic recovery. The ingredients are there for... Uh, for, for a good economic recovery. So we're, we're quite optimistic and looking forward to the next phase and we just hope we can deliver uh, results to shareholders and, um, you know, keep keep pushing on that dividend um, to make it um, a high-yielding product like in a, in a, a world of low yield. So, um, yeah, we're, we're just really focused on that for our shareholders. But, yeah, thanks for the support. Um, I'll just hand it back to Olivia. Thanks. Thanks very much, Matt and Jeff, and thanks for everyone for sending in questions. Um, if we didn't get around to your question, we will give you a call um, just afterwards. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. And this recording will be available on our website shortly.